This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. As we're going through this series looking at the miracles of Jesus this summer, one of the things that I've figured out, and I think you probably have too if you've been here, as you're going through these stories in Jesus' life, is that Jesus lived, during the time of his ministry, he lived at an exhausting pace. I mean, he really is kind of go, 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 because everywhere he goes, he's met with crowds who want him to teach, they want him to heal, they want him to do miracles. He's met with critics who challenge his teaching everywhere he goes. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, He got tired. I mean, when you're burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, as Jesus was doing, you get exhausted, and he got tired, and the only opportunity he had to take a nap was in the back of a boat on a stormy sea of Galilee. And that's exactly what he did. And then in last week's message that Bernie brought, we saw him send the disciples out ahead of, you guys go to the other side of the lake, and I'll meet you there. Why did he tell them to do that? Why did he separate himself from the 12 disciples? And the answer was, so he could have some time alone and to be with God by himself. He needed that, that time. And we saw him look out on the sea and see the storm and that they were caught up in it and they were, uh, didn't know what to do and they were scared. And so he walked out on the water to them. We have the great story of Peter walking and sinking, and being lifted back up by Jesus. And after that, he and his disciples, they arrived on the shore, and the people who were on the other side, where they arrived, where they landed, realized who he was, and word spreads very quickly, mouth to mouth, and and person to person, and word got out very quickly, and suddenly all the sick in that vicinity of Galilee were surrounding him, begging him, to heal them. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 36, it said, and they just couldn't get to him, couldn't speak to him. They just reached out, many of them, if they could just touch the tassel on his robe, they were healed. Then the Jewish religious leaders showed up from Jerusalem and argued about Jesus' disciples, and here was their argument. Uh, we, we, uh, we noticed that your disciples, uh, they don't wash their hands before they eat. There's nobody more petty in this world than religious critics. Do you know that? Hello? Look at the person next to you and say, I hope that's not me. Will you do that right now? And if the person next to you goes, we religious people can argue about things that in the eternal scheme really don't matter, don't we? But it was these Jews who would reject him, these Jews who would conspire to have him crucified, and he needed a break to rest. And so he chose, for the very first and only time in his ministry, he chose to leave the country of Israel and go to the coastline of Tyre and Sidon. If you look at the map, you see Galilee down here. If you go all the way up to the northwest on the coastline above the big word Galilee, you'll see the little town, the city of Tyre. That's where he went. That's in another country. That's in Phoenicia, modern-day Lebanon. And he had to get away. So he goes to a foreign country and, um, and, and to get, 
get some time where he could rest. That's significant. Because as Jesus will say here in this story, his primary mission, his primary purpose in coming, when he came to whom he came, was to come to Israel, to bring the kingdom, the gospel to Israel, to the Jews, not to the Gentile world. We're going to find out that even outside of Israel's borders, word has spread about this Jesus down in Israel and the things that he's doing, these incredible things that are taking place. And as the disciples, these 12 men, as they would see, there are people seeking him who aren't Jews, but they want to know him. They're looking for him. Mark chapter 7, 24, and Mark's story, the same story, Mark's version of this story, tells us that he's gone to Phoenicia in order to, Mark says, to get away. Sort of, uh, if you will, it was a secret trip, but Jesus couldn't travel without people following him, and the crowd showed up when they heard that he had arrived. And Mark says this in chapter 7, verse 24, he says, he could not escape notice. (laughs) There's nowhere he can go where people aren't recognizing him and following him and clamoring for him. And here in Phoenicia, he has the opportunity, again, not only to demonstrate who he is, but also, again, to teach his disciples. And and as I've been telling you, in all these stories of miracles, they all teach some kind of theology. They're all designed to train these disciples about Jesus and his purpose and his mission and who he is. And in the process, and I'm going to warn you, because we're going to read something and you're going to go, oh, if you've never read the story before, in the process, he's going to sound pretty harsh in some things he's about to say. But if we we read this and we go, I can't believe Jesus said that. You You know what we've just done? We've begun to judge Jesus. And how dumb is that? I want you to read along with me. I'm in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. Yet, he did not say a word to her. So his disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away. Because she cries out after us. By the way, she didn't mention the disciples at all in her, her cry, did she? She was talking to the son of David, to Jesus. She cries out after us, and he replied, as if to say, no, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, Help me. And he answered, It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Now some of you are going, Well, I never. Did he really say that? Yes, Lord, she said. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus said to her, Woman, Your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was cured. 
Now, the woman in the story, this Canaanite woman, has everything going against her. Everything's going against her. The, the supposed barriers between her and Jesus are several. For example, they are racial. She's a Gentile. He's a Jew. They're social. He's a man. She's a woman. And women were, in most cultures in those days, they were second-class citizens. They were cultural. She's a Canaanite, different culture, and spiritual. She has a daughter who's demon-possessed. And she stands out, I believe, in all the stories of Jesus' meetings with needy people. There's something very different about this woman, several things about her. She's different. There, let me just say, here's what's different about this woman than so many people. There is so much wrong with her. So much that's not right with her. She's bringing so much baggage, if you will, to Jesus. And here's the first of two things that Jesus did or said that might bother us because at first, Jesus ignores her. He didn't answer her. He just pretended like she wasn't there. Now, do you think he heard her? Yeah, sure he did. The disciples heard her. He heard her, absolutely he heard her, but he didn't even acknowledge her. He didn't respond to her. But he's teaching something here. There's a lesson here for his disciples who were not always where they needed to be spiritually. And, you know, and here, here's, they respond because in their minds, their job is to look out for Jesus, to protect Jesus, you know, to keep, to keep the unseemly, uh, the unworthy away from Jesus. They had done that before another time in his ministry with little children, didn't they? Oh, don't let the little kids bother Jesus. And he set them straight. Well, he's going to teach them something here. And they noticed, man, he didn't even answer her. I think she might be making him upset, making him mad. She's causing stress here. And it's as though they were saying to Jesus, you know, Lord, she's causing stress here, stress, Jesus, that we don't think you need. One of the lessons that they had to learn, and this is in your notes this morning, uh, no one is unloved by Jesus. They got to learn that lesson. He isn't looking for the cream of the crop. He isn't looking for the bold and the beautiful. He isn't looking for the educated and the wealthy. He sees us all, and all includes how many of us here today? All of us. He sees us all, and all includes how many in this world? All. He sees us all as needing what only he can offer. That's how he sees us. The gospel isn't for one group and not another. Well, that's what it sounds like Jesus is saying here. Hang on. He's teaching his disciples something. That means, that means it means nothing if you're a baby boomer, if you're a Gen Xer, if you're a millennial, or if you're like some of us here this morning, you're older than dirt. Makes no difference. <laughs> Jesus knows we all need what only he can offer. Your race, your culture, your job, your education, your bank account. None of that makes a hill of beans difference when it comes to being loved by the Lord. Because we know the Bible says in John 3, 16, God so what? Loved the world. And how many of us are in the world today? Raise your hands, all right? Raise your hands. If you know you're in the world. No, come on now. Some of you are not sure. 
Got some aliens here today, Lord. Beam us up. God so loved the world, and maybe you already know that, so it might bother you what happens and what's said in this story unless, please hear me, Christian, unless you understand what's happening. She begs for his help. And with great humility, this woman has, she, she will not give up. She doesn't just say, okay, then, and turn and walk away and let her daughter suffer the rest of her life. And as if he was agreeing with the disciples who said, send her away, Jesus. Tell her to stop. As though he's agreeing with them, he says to them, please hear me. He says, it says very clearly there, he says to them. He doesn't say to her. He says to the disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as Messiah, he came to offer the kingdom to the Jewish people. But he says that to the disciples, but she's right there. Do you think she heard him? Absolutely, she did. And he saw something in her. Everybody got my, I've got everybody's attention. He saw something in her that they did not see, that they did not understand was possible. Why? Canaanite, woman. Gentile. But watch what's going to happen. And what did he see in her? It's a real simple answer. He saw in her believing faith. That's what he saw. She believed Jesus could do something about her daughter's condition. And Mark's account gives us an important phrase that Matthew doesn't include, but you read Mark's account, and Mark says, and he said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first. He says to her, do you think we should feed uh, the dogs what we're supposed to feed our children? I know some of you think your dog is your child. (laughs) And some of you, your dog looks an awful lot like mom and dad, right? Did I say that? (laughs) But he says, allow the children to be fed when? First. And any parent understands that. We make sure our kids are fed, even before we feed ourselves, if that's what's necessary. And she gets that. She understands what he's saying. She knows she's not an Israelite. She knows she's not worthy. Listen, she uses these words. She's not worthy of the son of David. She's undeserving, and she gets that. But that word first, he said, hey, listen, we got to feed the children first. That word first gave her hope. Because let's think with me. First doesn't mean only, does it? He didn't say we only feed the children. He said we feed the children first. And she took that to mean even though I can't be first it doesn't mean I'll be left out and when she heard him say first her immediate reaction in her heart must have been and after the children are fed it will be my turn Jesus used the word first why did he say that Jesus again teaching his disciples and teaching us something here he's indicating a time frame he's speaking of a chronology here a calendar kind of thing, if you will. 
He had come to give God's chosen people, Israel, the first privilege of accepting his ministry. That's why he was born in Bethlehem. That's why he was born a Jew. It's why 99% of his ministry was inside the borders of Israel. He came to the Jews first. We understand that. But she was persistent. She's not going to take no for an answer. And this wasn't about her, really. It was about who? It was about her daughter. She's pleading and asking for her daughter. My daughter's tormented by a demon. So she doesn't give up. And the second time she approaches him, and Matthew says this time she got down on her knees before him, which is an act of worship. She got down on her knees. She doesn't use the phrase son of David this time, the first time she did, but she doesn't use the phrase son of David because she says he knows I'm not Jewish, so I won't use that Jewish phrase, but I'm going to call him Lord. I'm going to recognize him as creator. I'm going to get down on my knees and worship him as though he is my God. She falls down on her knees. In this act of worship, you know, if you're not my Messiah, at least I know you're my creator. And then Jesus tests her faith. Again, let me, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He was calling her a dog, wasn't he? Was he? Yes. Oh, Jesus. I can't believe you said that. If I was caught up in today's culture, I would say, that's so judgmental. Sounds like Jesus was being mean, but he's not. This wasn't meant to hurt her. It was meant to heal her. Most of the time, a Jew would use the word for dog when referring to Gentiles, which was their slang word for Gentiles. Most of the time, they would use another word, dog, for the Gentiles. The Greek language has a different word for what they would use than the word that Jesus used here, but we can't see it in the English most of the time, they would use a word for dog that meant a wild, scavenging, feral dog that prowled the streets looking for scraps of food, you know, getting in everybody's garbage can. Dogs that nobody cared for, dogs that nobody loved. That was the word that the Jews normally used for Gentiles. Not the word that Jesus used here. Jesus uses a word here that means little pet dog. Puppy. And so he illustrates. He doesn't want the disciples to miss this. And so he, the illustration he uses, he pictures for them a family gathered at mealtime around the table eating food provided by the head of the household. Now, she's not a child of the family of Israel. And so she's not eligible for the choicest morsels of food. But she sees herself, and that word that he used in that household, family, pet, dog, she sees herself as at least someone who should be able to eat the crumbs that might fall from the master's table. And those of you who have dogs and you have pet dogs in the house, when it's dinner time, your dog wants to hang out around the table, doesn't he or she? Especially if you've got little kids. And they're great for cleaning up the floors, you know. They do great with that. She was simply asking that some of the blessing of what you're providing to Israel, that some of it might be extended to me, my daughter, in our need. As I pointed out before in this series, and I think this is illustrated here again, you will not accept Jesus as your Savior until you realize you're a sinner, and as a sinner, I am not worthy of God's mercy and grace. 
No one comes. See, Jesus is not just our, I'm going to accept Jesus as my best bud. And that's how a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of music today presents, we talk about the songs that Jesus is my boyfriend kind of song, you know. That's not who he is. He's the son of God who died on a cross and gave his life to save us, but I'm not going to come to him as savior until I recognize I'm a sinner. She admitted that. She admitted to him, I'm not worthy. You're right. I'm a pet dog at best. But even the pets get to eat the scraps that fall from the table. I don't deserve it, but please, for one of your creatures, heal my daughter. And that was, hear me, that was her statement of faith. Admitting who she was and that she needed Jesus, that was her statement of faith. And with that admission of unworthiness, Jesus acknowledged her faith, didn't he? In fact, he called her faith what? Great. Woman, your faith is great. And he said that, I believe, in order for his disciples to hear because he has said to them on more than one occasion very, very recently, you guys have no faith. Your faith is, is minuscule. Where is your faith, guys? Why did you think I couldn't calm the storm? Did you think I was going to die in the... Where is your faith? And then he says to this Canaanite Gentile woman with all these barriers, somebody that the disciples really weren't sure should even be talking to Jesus, You've got great faith. Especially when compared to the Jews. And from that moment, Matthew says, the moment of her faith in Jesus, he tells us that her daughter was cured. From that moment, soon as she confessed that faith and believed in Jesus, that moment her daughter was cured. No doubt this was done in front of the disciples. Again, they saw and they heard all of this, and they are all standing there with their mouths open. Peter, did you just see what happened? Did you hear what he just said to her? And they're having, they're, they may not be saying it out loud, but they're thinking, what in the world just took place? This was something new to them. I enjoyed that psalm. I read a couple verses from the psalms about singing a new song. That's one of the great joys of knowing Jesus Christ and being in the family of God. We discover that his mercies are new every morning. Every day, God does something, ought to do something in and for you in your life that kind of takes you by surprise, and you go, wow. As you read his word and you discover the nuggets of gold and treasure that are there, new things. This was done in front of the disciples. Something new to them. A Gentile Canaanite woman accepted Jesus here. And he accepted her. Did you get that? With all of her baggage, with all of her problems, with everything that was wrong with her, he accepted her. I'm from the generation that experienced the last great revival in this country. Uh, that was called the Jesus Movement in the very early 1970s. And God wonderfully in his sovereignty and his providence worked it out so that I actually lived in the epicenter of that movement in Southern California. During that time, as a 15, 16-year-old teenager, and one of my favorite stories from that revival is the story of the little quaint Calvary Chapel Church. 
is an older congregation where all of a sudden, in this little church building, probably didn't seat this many, full of mostly older people, as so many churches tend to get to be, this little church suddenly was overflowing with shoeless, long-haired hippies wearing tattered jeans and tie-dyed t-shirts, and they were showing up in droves to hear the word of God. It was the beginning of a phenomenon, beginning of a revival that swept over this land. Their lives were being transformed as I sat there and observed this in person with friends of mine in school and saw what was happening. I, I, I would dare say in my high school, Orange High School in Orange, California, I dare say 25% of the student body were Christians. I mean, real Christians. For my first day of school, this never happened to me in my whole life. My first day of school, I went and sat down in a class and nothing much was going on in the class and this guy came up, pulled up a chair and sat beside me and said, he said, hey, my name's Jim, what's your name? And I said, my name's Rick. And he said, Rick, do you know Jesus? I was a Christian, but nobody had ever witnessed to me before outside of church. Tell the truth, I'd never witnessed anybody either. And Jim was... He was so excited to tell me about Christ. You know how churches can be. <clears throat> this little church just had new carpet installed in the sanctuary. Well, Rick, why did you do that? Put quotes around the word sanctuary because this is not a sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. When we all leave this building... He goes with us. You don't want to hang out in an empty room all week, you know, wait for Sunday. Holy Spirit kind of sitting in the room. Wish they'd all hurry up and get back. <laughs> Where'd they all go? <laughs> I got to have a talk with that Rick. He just, they scattered, you know, they're gone. They just installed carpet in this little church and the older folks were so proud of their new carpet. Looked so good. Had that, that new carpet smell, you know, you know what I mean? But now these kids are showing up and so many of them are barefoot and it only takes a few people to start, like Old Testament Israel, start murmuring and complaining to the church leadership. They're soiling our new carpet. Or maybe I should say it as they probably said, oh, they're soiling our new carpet. <laughs> I gave $25 to that new carpet, and it's getting all dirty and oily. And, and so the trustees approached Pastor Chuck Smith, and he was torn. He didn't want to upset the older folks, but he saw these young people coming in spiritually hungry and searching for the Lord. What does he do? As a, do I make a rule about shoes? Perhaps the greatest asset a pastor has. And here's something for you to pray about often. Perhaps the greatest asset a pastor has is a sensitive wife who has his ear. And I don't mean she has his ear like this. <laughs> Although sometimes that's necessary. And as Pastor, Clark, uh, pastor Chuck shared with his wife the dilemma about the shoes and the carpet and the bare feet and 
she shared with him her heart that was tender toward the tender toward the hippies and she just simply said how can you turn them away so he went back to the trustees and said listen if you're more concerned about the carpet than these young people then let's tear out the carpet and from that defining moment that church exploded with thousands and thousands of young people and as I said some of my friends at school being saved and what does that illustrate Jesus used this undeserving and unworthy Gentile woman to teach these disciples who would be the ones who would be taking the gospel to the ends of the world including Jacksonville North Carolina in July of 1966 where this 10 year old boy heard about Jesus and accepted him as Savior he used these men to take the gospel and spread it around the world. And his timetable and his strategy was explained to them right here in this conf confrontation, in this encounter with this woman. His last words to them on earth would be for them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come on them and give them power, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth where Jews don't live. And they did that. And there in Jerusalem, in the surrounding area, thousands of Jews turned to Jesus as their Messiah. And that was step one. That was first. But the rest of his plan was to take the gospel outside of Israel to the Gentile world. So this conversation with this Gentile woman, the things he said that to our ears initially sound so harsh, he was teaching them something, was to set the stage for them to do exactly what they would do in just a few years. And here we are today in this room, <clears throat> most if not all of us Gentiles, who by his grace are able to receive his mercy and his, his grace and, and the crumbs, if you will, from the master's table. And the point is this, please get this, no matter who you are, no matter your race, no matter your culture, your education, no matter your problems, Jesus loves you and he offers all of us his everlasting life. Are we unworthy? Absolutely. But, get this in your notes, his grace. What is his grace? His grace is loved, love to the undeserving. His grace steps over our unworthiness to change us and make us his children. And the moment, Christian, the moment, those of you maybe not Christians yet, the moment we accept Christ, the one who is worthy, God then sees us in him and worthy of his acceptance into his family. So let me ask you this as we finish. Who, where are you? If you're still outside the family but wanting to come in, Jesus' invitation is to believe in him as your Savior. And I would implore you today, please, don't leave here without letting him change you and forgive you and make you brand new and a part of his forever family. Some of you came in here this morning <clears throat> and some of you are Christians and you still feel this way because of your experiences in life, how you were brought up, how you were loved or not loved in your life, how your experiences that you have maybe in, in marriages that 
maybe didn't do so well, maybe failed. And how you've treated people in your life. You've got all these experiences that you've gone through. I, we all do, don't we? I mean, that's what life is, is bunches of experiences. We have them, and not, they're not all good. And we may, and some of you, I, I don't talk a whole lot about this. I, I'm not crazy about this, this phrase, but some of you, your, your self-image is way down in the basement, even though you're Christian. Because you can't let go of some of the bags. You can't let go of some of the experiences. You can't say, okay, Jesus Christ, you've, I've accepted you as my Savior, and now you've made me brand new. You struggle with that. And even though you have put your faith and trust in him as this woman did, and he has become your Savior, and he has become your Lord, I hope, and even you're sitting in church, some of you still come here this morning and you still feel unworthy. Let me say to you once again, that unworthiness was tossed into the deepest part of the sea the moment you put your faith in Christ. Does the Bible say that? He takes all of our sin and casts them into the deepest part of the sea. He scatters them as far as the four corners of the earth. He remembers them no more. Your unworthiness has been washed clean. You've been made new. You're a new creature. Stop living as though you're not worthy. You are worthy because not, you're, you're, you think I'm unworthy because of all those experiences, but let me please, let me say this to you. You are worthy today, Christian, because of one experience. And that one experience is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and accepted him as your Savior. That's made you worthy. I hope today maybe some of you that are carrying this baggage around and you feel so unworthy. And I, I meet people all the time, how come you don't, when you come to church, you, you just don't have a whole lot of joy and you don't even sing? And well, I'm just not worthy of Jesus. I want to say, <laughs> read this story. Hello. None of us are worthy of Jesus, but when we put our faith in him, I bet he didn't call her a dog from then on. What do you think? Why? Because now she was part of his family. He was able to see her faith, and he accepted her. Would you bow with me in prayer? Your heads are bowed and your eyes closed. I want to pray with you. <clears throat> but some of you this morning are here. Let me talk to the Christians first. And I want you to be real honest. Because you've come here and you've said, Rick, I've struggled with this whole thing of worthiness my whole life, even as a Christian. I don't see myself as being worthy of anything God has to offer And today, I want to see myself as Jesus sees me. He saw her differently, this woman, when she professed her faith in him. And I want to see myself as Jesus sees me as, as one of the righteous, as part of his family, as one who has been 
cleansed by his blood, who has received mercy and grace and made clean, and all my baggage was taken and thrown away when I came to Christ at the cross. And I've been struggling with that in my life, this thing of unworthiness. And today I'm praying, and I'm asking you to pray for me, Rick, that God will change that in my life, that he'll help me to see who I am in Jesus. And that's my prayer today. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up in the air? Rick, that's me. I've felt unworthy for so long, and I've never understood this whole thing of worthiness in Christ. Anybody else? God bless you. And then you may be here today, and you may say, you know, I'm not a Christian yet, but this has helped me understand that there's no one outside of the love of God. And that he wants to open up entrance into his family to me. If by faith, I'll just simply receive him, accept him as my Savior. And so, Rick, today, where I sit in this place, I am for the first time in my life receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I know he's going to forgive my sin, he's going to take me into his family and give me everlasting life. Rick, today I'm putting my faith and trust in Christ. First time ever. Would you slip your hand up in the air? Nobody's looking but God and me. I'm looking around. Okay, God bless you. I, th- I see, thank you very much. Anybody else? Good things happening today, God. Because you're great. Because your Holy Spirit is free to work in this place. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story. I thank you, God, for Jesus being willing to take the risk to say the things he said in order to prove the point and to make the point. Not only to his disciples, but to this dear woman. And one day, God, I look forward to meeting her in heaven and telling her how her story changed lives today on July 30th, 2017 in Nags Head Church and thanking her for having the boldness to seek out Jesus, knowing there was a possibility he might, he might turn her away. But you love us all. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 